Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible horror movies. If you made a movie on your phone or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. What happens when you want to make Gremlins, but you don't have the budget, the actors, and set it during the 4th of July? Well, you might have the movie Munchies. about four beers i'm ready to talk munchies i mean since this film is randomly set during the fourth of july i thought it would be festive here and join in the festivities this is also the way i was able to make it through this roger corman production directed by tina hirsch who by the way had a hand in editing gremlins back in 1984 has striking similarities to that film we have munchies instead of gremlins it's set on the fourth of july instead of christmas and the jokes and horror that were present in Gremlins are really nowhere to be found in this film. Starring Harvey Corman in a dual role, uh, and by the way, I use that term very loosely, uh, as the film does as well. This film tries to be both funny and scary, and has very limited results. Instead of going on this further, let's just sh- jump right into the film. Captain's Log, Stardate 2027.1. Dear Cindy, I am being held prisoner on a barren asteroid by the evil Klingon Emperor. Oh, will you stop complaining? It's only for six weeks. Well, I cannot tell you how I regret letting you bring that camera. Wait, hold on here. I thought I was watching a horror movie and not Star Trek. Did I put in the right tape? Let me see. Mm. <clears throat> no, the box says munchies. I wonder if somebody taped over my copy. I mean, it looks like the start of one of those original episodes with the mountains and barren landscape and... Oh, look! It's Harvey Corman. I am watching the right film, after all. God damn it. We're introduced to both Harvey Corman's first character, Simon, and his son, Paul. Turns out that Paul is on an excavation with his dad in Peru, and is currently making a video for his girl, Cindy, back at home. He's not very excited about being in Peru, because according to Paul... You know, they're not very hip down here. They didn't even know who Bullwinkle was. Whoa, a Bullwinkle? When is this movie from? 1987? What the fuck? When was it hip to know who Bullwinkle was? I mean, I know who Moose and Squirtle are, but most teens... I don't think that this was the hip way to reference 1987. I mean, in the 80s we had Transformers, He-Man, Robotech, and Inspector Gadget. You could go even to the 70s and grab some killer cartoons to reference, but Rocking Bullwinkle was from 1959. 1959! He could have said Bugs Bunny and that would have been a reasonable line, but Bullwinkle? That makes no sense. Unless it's saying something about Peru being some country that gets American cartoons much later, making them some sort of, like, third world country or just you know takes a long time to translate those into spanish come on they're not like that paul's a dick and he wants to be a comedian too which of course his father shoots down oh 
quit trying. You're not going to L.A. to become a comic, and that's Dad, it. Dad, come on. No, you're not, Paul. First of all, you're not funny. Second of all, you don't know what L.A. is. It's like New Jersey with earthquakes. I have to agree with Pops here, Paul. You're not that funny. And Dreams of L.A.? Why would you want to go there? I mean, unless you want to be a waiter, or a line cook, or a podcaster for the rest of your life, being a comedian in L.A. is a rough, rough job. And you've also noticed probably one of the longest-running jokes in the film. Uh, it'll come up again later. After they finish up arguing about being a comedian in L.A., a dude dressed like a Mexican... Wait, I thought we were in Peru... Uh, well, he comes up and lets them know that he's found somebody that can read the runes in the dig site. That's when we get our native Peruvian stereotype. Abatu, Viracocha, Indarate, Derita, Derita. What did he say? Uh, must be chewing many coca leaves, doctor. He said he reads, Beware of Viracocha. The fire of the gods will bring justice from now until the end of time. Yeah, you should ask him how many times he's seen the curse of the mummy. Yeah, Paul, please get another job or do something with your life other than being comedian. Now, <clears throat> the coca leaf thing is, sadly, it's a true thing. There are tribes that do chew, chew the cocaine leaf uh, to this day in Peru, and they're the only people who really can do so legally. Still, it's kind of fucked up to put in a movie like this, especially at a time that Peru wasn't so in the mainstream as it's today or since I married a Peruvian woman. Once you meet one, you see them in everything and everywhere. So Mexican-Peruvian leaves while Simon and Paul search the cave further. While in one of the really shitty sets, they do find a little dude in the corner to which Simon believes to be an alien. It's an alien. Dad, you don't know these in legal alien just learned spanish because he's been here so long I mean, what else could he be god paul really i mean first he speaks spanish because he's in peru and second shouldn't you two be more freaked out that this talking hairball is hanging around this tomb or dig site or whatever the fuck this shit he said is trying to portray it's like roger corman only had an egyptian set that he let them use for the film for this part of uh, yeah, peru and just place some random sun god statue which again looks very Mexican, to make it seem like it's a Peruvian ruin. Well, at least they tried. Can I also say that Simon is some sort of alien space archaeologist that believes that these shitty ruins were created by some sort of alien laser technology? Yeah, that's what the light of the gods is, I guess. So Simon manages to get the little hairball into a duffel bag, and also finds some green goo that he tucks away for later. They manage to sneak the little dude out and bring him into the States. We get some stock footage of a plane landing, and they land somewhere in the Bay Area. Wait, this is based locally? Ah, oh, fuck me. So Simon and Paul walk through this no-name airport, going to meet up with Paul's girl, Cindy. The little hairball makes some noises, and this allows Simon to take another jab at his son. He's been hanging around you too much. He thinks he's a comedian. Yeah, but that little thing is funnier than Paul. Maybe she, he should go to L.A. and make a career of it instead of Paul. Cindy sneaks up on them and immediately starts talking Giants baseball with Simon, leaving Paul in the dust. She then drives home, wondering what exactly is in the bag. Paul, did you bring me back a little baby llama? <laughs> I'll take him out. No, 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 he's fine in here. I, I put a sock in there for him to play with. Dad, he's not a puppy. Oh, not a puppy, huh? What is it, an anteater? No, you're not even more. A ground sloth. Is it marsupial? No, I didn't check for a pouch. A Bolivian wombat. <laughs> what the hell, Cindy? Why would it be a llama? Do you know how fucking big those things are? Even a baby one is pretty damn big. I mean, I guess it could be a baby, but, you know, it wouldn't really say random words out loud. Come on, Cindy, think about it. Well, while driving distracted, Cindy notices a cop and begins to slow down, only to be caught in his radar. Violation! This is going to be a great day. This is Eddie, the dumbest cop in Sweetwater. That's where they're from. And is way too excited to pull them over for something stupid. Turns out that Eddie's kind of a dick. Did I say you were speeding, Missy? That's deputy sport to you. In fact, he's a huge dick. 
I've warned you to get that tune-up before. So maybe now you'll start obeying the environmental standards that make Sweetwater such a nice place to live and raise kids. He's also a complete fucking idiot. Who would have guessed that he would be a stereotyped dumb cop in this type of movie? No, oh, okay. Well, after this little exchange, Cindy pulls up to Simon and Paul's home. We cut to a scene of Harvey Corman again, this time in a bag of wig, in his dual role as Cecil, Simon's evil twin. Now, here when I say again, dual role, there are some reservations since soon, and very soon, Simon is just going to disappear for the entire film until just the end. For some unknown reason, Cecil happens to be listening in on the house, and over here, Cindy explained that she's now a vegetarian. What do you mean you're a vegetarian now? Uh, just like I told you, Paul. Well, technically, I'm a cold-blooded veggie. I just don't like to eat warm-blooded animals. That's all. Come on up. So what does that leave? Snakes and salamanders? Isn't that a pescatarian if she still eats fish? Also, why is it that important to the movie as it's never referenced again? I, I just don't get it when films try to make something, I guess, that's a joke, and it ends up being absolutely horrible and pointless to the rest of the film. Cecil keeps spying in on them, and then we see Cecil appear on the TV in one of his local commercials. Hi, I'm Cecil Waterman. You know, there must be over 60 brands of wine food around the market now, but there's only one original. Cecil's all-natural wine cooler made out of wholesome California products. Cecil's, it's the real, real thing. Uncle Cecil, what a goof. What a goof. It seems like he's some sort of, like, alcohol pusher, but I guess he could just be a spokesperson. Also, that wig is absolutely terrible. It's just some, like, black fro that just makes him look so damn smarmy. Like he's oozing out smarm from all of his pores, and sooner will be enough to create a replica of him out of that smarm. So at the end of the clip, you can also hear more of the hairball's voice, and he's totally a gizmo ripoff. They're not even trying to hide it. That voice is straight up gizmo. What, are you going to tell me that if you get it wet or feed it after midnight, something's going to happen? I bet he loves junk food, too. You know, I haven't seen anybody eat so much junk since that time you got drunk. Remember, and you ate that bar of hash? Yeah, and you thought it was a chunky? <laughs> That's it. What? He's a munchie. <laughs> oh, she says the title of the movie right there. He's a munchie. Hold up. Are we going to also skip over the fact that Paul ate a fucking bar of hash? That's funny. Isn't this movie rated PG? How is it even PG? I know it's the 80s, but PG-13 was around since 1984, and this movie could have at least made it to that rating with the sexual and drug references in this film. There's no nudity, but we get pretty close to it, and maybe that's why it's rated PG? Also, there's no swearing, so that might have something to do with it. Simon comes in and talks with Paul and Cindy about his money rose and the newly named Arnold, who will help him get a book deal that will solve those issues. He also has to leave to go meet with some other archaeologist, maybe it's Dr. Jones, and asks that Paul watches Arnold for the rest of the day. In fact, he makes a bet with him. Okay, I'll tell you what I'll do. You're a betting man, right? I'll make you a wager. I'll bet you that you can't look after Arnold for one day. If you win, we'll discuss this uh, budding comedy career of yours in L.A. Oh, that's some bet. Now, what happens if I lose? You stay here, you go to community college, and you become something reputable. You really go for the throat, Dad. You must keep him safe and hidden. Nobody must find out about him. Okay? Okay. I'm depending on you, Paul. Well, we all know how this is going to go, so it looks like it's going to be college for Paul after all. I mean, if everything went perfectly, there wouldn't be another 69 minutes to this movie. Oh, holy shit. I thought I'd at least be a good third of the way into it. Well... I guess it's time for beer number five. Uh, let's just open this up right here, okay. So, Simon gets uh, out to his car, and he tries to leave, but he's stopped by Cecil. Cecil's trying to get Simon to sign over his part of their shared land. When did this turn into an episode of Scooby-Doo? Well, Simon doesn't just want to give it to him just yet. He speeds away and Cecil plans to nab little Arnold to stop Simon from getting the money needed to pay off the people he owes money to. 
Back in the house, Arnold is learning things fast. And Paul even teaches him how to turn on the TV as well. Home of the Valley's best steaks and crunchiest tater tots. Turn the mile-long 700-item salad bar. This steak is so tender it doesn't even taste like meat. I just love those tater tots. Yep, for beef so tender it melts in your mouth. It's Western Beefland. Four convenient valley locations. Thank you. Beef so tender that it doesn't taste like meat? Is that correct? That doesn't even seem right. Also, he has a 700-item salad bar? What the fuck do you have on that? I mean, a place even like Sweet Tomatoes doesn't even have close to 700 items, and that shit's pretty big and long. I have a feeling that there's just a ton of crap that gets labeled like a single item. Kind of like when a place says unlimited shrimp, and then what they really mean is it's until we don't want to serve you shrimp anymore. Fuck you. If I want to take that shrimp to the house, I'll take it to the goddamn house. Well, Cindy suggests that Paul leave uh, Arnold alone so the two of them can go upstairs and fuck since it's been so long. I can see Paul's dilemma right now. I really want to be a comedian and move to L.A. so I better fly straight and make sure that I watch Arnold. But on the other hand, sex. Sex, be a comedian. Sex, live my own life. Sex, okay, sex wins. So that little alien thing can take care of itself while I go to Pound Town. Back in Cecil's place, we get to meet Dude, his stepson. He's your typical music-loving hippie stoner guy who lives with his mom and Cecil. He's a pretty shitty stepson with an even shittier stepfather. Cecil wants to get him to help capture Arnold with some pretty solid reasoning. Either you, me, or you're going to go back to that uh, teepee of yours in Utah. Now, well, you want money, and I got the job. Now, are you in? Man, what choice do I got? Either be a cog in the wheel or starve like a dog. Well, I guess that's one way to look at it, right, dude? Well, after that strong, convincing argument, Cecil goes over to check on his babies, his tropical fish, in what turns out to be the dirtiest fucking fish tank I have ever seen. I've seen some really dirty fish tanks in restaurants, but this is more like ten times worse than I've ever seen. If these are your babies, go clean that fucking tank. So to keep Arnold busy while he fucks Cindy, Paul gives him a porno mag and Arnold quickly snatches it and begins to whack it, I guess? The sounds that come from the bag surely sound like it. Can't you wait till the two get out of there? And it seems like when Arnold finishes, he sneezes aloud, achoo. When we now go upstairs where Cindy and Paul are starting to get it on, As they start to get hot and heavy, this is PG, people, little old Arnold invades the bed and then gets punted right out. After kicking Arnold out, Cindy and Paul get down to action. Meanwhile, Cecil and his idiot stepson enter the house to kidnap poor Arnold while he's getting down with some junk food. We get a really good look at the puppet used for Arnold, and man is it ugly. All we really got to see earlier was kind of a lump of hair and like a mouth filled with teeth. Now it kind of looks like this weird lizard-snake-like gremlin hybrid. Seriously, how much closer are you going to get to gremlins uh, in this film? It's also wearing some sort of like Jedi-style coat. At least it's fashionable. So these two dimwits, they chase Arnold around the house and ultimately catch him and take him back to Cecil's pad. If I haven't mentioned it yet, it's right next door to Simon and Paul's place. I guess if you're going to have to have an evil twin, you kind of want to live next door to him to see exactly what he's doing. Inside Cecil's place, Cecil decides that Dude is going to watch Arnold while he goes and picks up Dude's mom. At first, Dude refuses, but Cecil again has some pretty good reasoning. Now, Dude, haven't I always treated you like you was my own stepson? But I am your stepson. I know, and I always treated you like you was, didn't I? Yeah, you always treated me like a stepchild. Will you guard him with your life, or you won't have one? You threatening me, Pop? Yes. Okay. I'm going to the bus station now to pick up your mother, or you watch him. Okay, I guess putting a gun to your stepson's neck is another good way to make sure he does what you wanted to do. We cut back to Cindy and Paul being 
kinky, I guess. First, they have this, like, giant inflatable hammer that they're using. And then they're playing with, like, these zappers under the cover. Well, whatever floats your boat. I'd never let either of these two watch my alien creature or my mogwai. Back in Cecil's place, Arnold and the dude get into a little tiff, which causes dude to send Arnold flying and Arnold then stabbing dude. I guess this means that dude is going to be the first to die. Dude even shoots Arnold with a rifle, but the little shit doesn't die. Ultimately, dude slices Arnold in four pieces and leaves him in the kitchen. I would too, dude, flinging my record collection around, using them to surf around the room. That original record of no jacket required is going to be worth some good money in the future. Really, the fight between them kind of reminds me of a reverse Home Alone situation with Arnold laying the traps for Dude in Dude's actual house. Really, at the end of the day, I got the answer to my question that I was thinking of during this scene. Is Dude smarter than a Peruvian alien? Kinda, since he got the upper hand in Arnold and chopped that some bitch up. The body starts bubbling, fucking gremlins, and the body parts start to form their own little bodies. Well, as shit, I guess that thing is immortal. I can understand being shot and not dying, but being chopped up? Not even the gremlins could survive being chopped up. Point to the munchies. I also want to point out that the wound uh, makeup for Dude, while bloody, is pretty piss poor. PG rating, folks. The camera then suddenly sneaks up upon Dude, and the camera fades away to Cecil picking up Dude's mom. She and Cecil talk about Dude, and Cecil can't really figure out why she adopted him anyway. One thing I'll never know, though, honey, is why you agreed to adopt that worthless kid when you left that no contest of yours. I don't know. I guess I just felt sorry for him because he was so ugly and stupid. Wait, that's not either of their kid? Neither of them have a horse in this race? Oh, poor dude. Only loved because he's dumb and ugly. That's totally a new low. We go back with Paul and Cindy, and they've finished and notice that Arnold has left the house. It serves you right. It serves you right for that magazine. Yeah, I think I had him freebasing at the Playboy Mansion or something. Oh, okay, it's the porno mag's fault that he left the house. Sure, Arnold saw some titties and thought, Hey, I can't stay here. I need to go out and find some titties of my own to love since I can't really enjoy them around here. Those are spoken for. It couldn't possibly be that you two were supposed to watch him and left him alone to go up and fuck. Nope, that's not the reason at all. While they're looking around, they find actually four of them now up on top of the roof with a rifle. Uh, maybe I shouldn't really say on top of the roof because it's kind of actually on top of a trash can. Uh, instead of trying to go out and stop them himself, he, he, Paul end up pushes Cindy out of the way to take the shot from the little munchies while he goes around and traps them underneath a recycling bin, which really doesn't do shit. They toss it off, they escape, fire on the two with their rifle, then they steal dude's shitty car. I will know here that the car's license plate has the words O Gizmo written on it, yet another nod to Gremlins. I should also know that when Cecil and dude's mom, Melvis, is that the king or the queen? Oh, well, when they're driving back to the house, she's reading a paper, and Gremlins is written on the front page, and a weird picture of this monster is on the front, and it kind of looks like a ridiculous version of the Gremlin in Gremlins. Cindy and Paul then jump into her car, and the chase is now on. While driving down the highway, the tone loke munchie scolds one of the other munchies. So I only call that one the tone loke munchie because he reminds me of his character from Baby's Kids. They really have about three, maybe four different voices so far. I kind of count the one that was used for Arnold kind of the same. You got the Tone Loke one, and then you got that kind of nerdy one that's back there. And I guess the fourth one would be when Arnold was kind of like Gizmo in the beginning of the film. These guys also want to go to New Jersey, being as it's the armpit of the U.S., their ugly mugs would fit in fine there. Only place worse than Jersey is Philadelphia. Well, while chasing the grim, I mean munchies, Cindy and Paul get pulled over by Eddie. Paul comes up with this great plan to lie to Eddie and tell him that Cindy's dad works for the CIA and he's chasing some rusky spies and they need Eddie to guard the golf land while they chase after them. Of course, Eddie believes them and runs off to the golf land. As they drive off, Cindy comments on how she's surprised that Paul actually knew that her dad worked for the CIA. 
I guess that was supposed to be the joke. I understand that, you know, Eddie's an idiot, but when we make part of your lie true, it kind of misses the point of him actually being a true idiot and believing what you say. I don't know why I feel that way, but I do. Well, back to the munchies, now they're driving down the highway. This is where we get one of the weirdest scenes in the film. If you want a really good, detailed version of this whole scene, um, I would go to the Facebook page and check out the video that I posted that's basically the entire scene of this uh, car chase, as you might say. So what happens is here is that there's this game of chicken between the munchies and this old lady. At one point, she starts throwing out either cherry bombs or smoke bombs out the window, and they end up, uh, at the end, actually spinning around facing each other and playing a real game of chicken where at the last minute they both dodge each other but of course granny gets the worst of it by crashing her car (sighs) well to add insult to injury they pull alongside her car and point the rifle out the window first shooting out one of her windows and then they manage to make the second shot blow up her car poor old lady they blew her shit up though i guess she was kind of a bitch talking shit about the car that they were driving which she says something about it being American. I, I don't really get it, but I guess, again, it was supposed to be funny. After a short scene with Eddie, we see Melvis and Cecil enter their now-trashed uh, house that's been uh, torn up by the munchies, which causes Melvis to get upset about what her maid's going to see. garbage is everywhere and they don't even notice that dude is dead in the quarter until quite some time they're not very upset at the fact that he's dead hell cecil's more upset that the munchies killed his tropical fish though i think that they committed suicide trying to find some clean water melvis believes that they need big big ed to come back into town and handle the situation so they go running after eddie first we go back on the road and the munchies come upon a set of bikers that they manage to knock off the road at the same time Seriously, they get all up next to him, they piss him off, kind of moving around them, and then for some reason when they finally do knock into the bikers, it actually forces all four motorcycles to jump off at the same point and into the river. As they drive off, the munchies flip them off, and Cindy and Paul manage to show up just a bit late. Instead of just following them right away, the duo actually end up driving to Golfland, catching up to Eddie. Both Cecil and Melvis... uh, show up which caused cindy and cecil to get into an argument now are you and your bimbo in this with me or what i'm calling bimbo you polyester cowboy who are you calling polyester cowboy you cheap dime store floozy i wasn't such a lady i would pop you one you're not really that type of lady melvis cindy should just pop you one really eddie goes off with cecil and melvis to their house to see what's happened while Cindy and Paul keep following the munchies. At this point, the munchies are driving down the road in the mountains, and then they come across something different, distance. Why, it's two bimbos swimming in the water. The munchies, now thirsty as all hell, decide that they should go check these babes out. Some of the munchies get in the water and start swimming towards them. There's a somewhat funny exchange as one girl ditches the other, only to be attacked by the other munchies and then gets ditched by the previous girl. Still, these little guys are huge perverts. Again, this movie is rated PG. Cindy and Paul show up just in time to save the girls, and the munchies manage to run away into a pipe. The girl asks what those things were, and of course they reply, What were those things? Uh, tourists from, from Nevada. Sure, they're what all Nevadian tourists looks like. Little snake things that love titties. Turns out that lead pipe leads up to the mountain to an ice cream shop run by this mom, dad, and their son with the most ridiculous ice cream outfits that they have in this film. I think probably some of that costume budget went to them because they had these giant ice cream cones on each one of their heads. The son is outside playing and he sees the munchies and they come up to the shop craving the ice cream that's inside. There's this like weird E.T. moment where one of the munchies reaches out with his hand and then extends his finger. And the boy, he extends his hand and his finger, and they almost touch and come together, but the mom comes out, shouts, and stops it. Then they start fighting off the munchies as the film shifts back to Cecil and Melvis with a flat tire. I should say switching to Melvis really changing the tire on their ice cream-like postal truck delivery vehicle. 
And damn, Melvis is strong, as she mentions that she, it would have been faster if she had a jack. What did she use to lift the truck? Her boobs? Seriously, you have to have, like, Lou Ferrigno or, that, you know, the necklace rocks type of strength to lift, uh, one, lift up the bus, two, keep it held up, and three, to change the tire while the damn bus is on your back. Cecil's either really smart or a huge fucking dick. I really believe the latter. Now we see Cindy and Paul pulling up to the ice cream parlor. Now they're not actually checking in and thinking that the munchies have gone there. They're actually taking a break and having ice cream. Seriously, they needed a break (laughs) from failing to stop, let alone find the munchies. As they step into the ice cream parlor, they see the destruction the munchies have caused. Suddenly the dad pops out from the back with a munchie attacking him on the neck. Paul just stands there for a moment, looking like he doesn't care what happens to the poor dad, until he finally steps in and gets the munchie off of him by kicking him in the face. I'm glad that you finally decided to join in and actually help someone, instead of being the dumbfounded idiot you've been so far. Well, I guess you did save those bimbos. So, I guess what I'm saying is that you're pro-saving boobs, but not dads. Well, they drive the family to the hospital, and there's some dead bear joke, uh, and then we're back in Simon and Paul's place. Basically, he says, I got bit by a bear once, and then he fades out, and then he comes back again and says, I've been bit by a bear once, and it's not really that funny. Paul, then, uh, he's at his place, he's been reading some of Simon's books and realizes what's going on with the munchies. You know, it says here that there are legends that the high priests were able to bring inanimate objects to life. They used, and I quote, the fire of the gods. Once brought to life, the objects then supposedly had regenerative powers which made them unable to be destroyed. He figures out that there's more of them originally than there was when only Arnold was around. Regenerative powers. That's how come there's four of them. It's like with a worm. You have one worm, you cut it in half, you have two worms. We've got to warn everybody not to cut them, otherwise we're going to have hundreds of munchies running around Sweetwater stealing junk food. So now we're back in Cecil's house, and Big Ed finally shows up, and he just happens to be Eddie's dad, if you haven't guessed it yet. Big Ed seems like more of a rough-and-tumble type of cop, busting through wearing, uh, like, riot gear and having a nice riot helmet, as well as a police baton, while Eddie, you know, he's just an idiot. Cecil has Melvis take Eddie into the kitchen to make her some tea or lemonade while he pulls Big Ed to the side to speak with him. If those creatures get into the underground caves, people are going to find out that I have been storing barrels of toxic waste under the town. Now if I go down, you come with me. So Cecil really is an evil man. I sure hope that the munchies get him at some point in the film. There's no way they would wuss out on that, would they? Cindy and Paul show up trying to tell Cecil what's going on with the munchies, but he's actually more interested in the opening of his new golf land later that evening to worry about evil little creatures that are running amok. We cut over to Cecil's really long speech that's not worth listening to at all. He mostly talks about how his love of Melvis turned into this great mini golf land that's like 36 holes, something that's never ever been done before, I guess in the town of Sweetwater. Yet... I would have been led to believe that there are many 36-hole golf land type places. I mean, even where I live, there's a mini golf place that has two 18-hole courses. Shit, there's another one that's a little ways away that has three 18-hole courses. What a fucking liar. That's not the first time that's ever been done before. Well, once that abomination of a speech is over, everyone is free to play golf at no cost to them. A lot of people from the town are here, including those nice people from the ice cream parlor. Hell, even the munchies have shown up. And what are they doing? Why, hiding in the bushes and creeping on two young girls bending over and over and over and over. And is that camel toe? Hey, this movie is PG. I don't need to see all these panty shots all the goddamn time. Guess that's one way around the censors. It then cuts to the ice cream family playing their round of golf, and the kid sees one of the munchies. He rushes to his mom and dad to tell them they're here again, and then the dad brushes him off to make his putt, only to be attacked again by one of the munchies, who bites him once again in the neck. Man, this dad can't win, can he? His wife even maces him and the munchie off of his face. At least the mace took away the pain of being bitten, right? There's also scenes of the kids breaking into a snack machine only to be attacked by the munchies. These four little dudes really get around quickly, don't they? As terror rains down on the golf land, Cecil begins to get frustrated with Big Ed. 
We'll do something, you dumb mother... Oh, Cecil, don't you say the F word. There's a lady present. You're not a lady, Melvis. Cindy and Paul show up again. They always seem to be showing up at the last possible minute for everything and try to explain to Cecil and crew why killing them exactly won't work. You can't kill them with guns. Yeah, and how do you know that? Because I read this book called The Conquistador's Journal. Bull! Look, these things regenerate. You can't kill them. If you cut them up, there's just going to be more of them. I don't believe that crap. Do you, Melvis? Well, I don't know. You've seen what these things uh, can do, and you still won't listen to your nephew? You don't believe that he can read and understand the books that your brother has in his house? It's a bunch of little monsters that they used to be only one monster. How do you think that they got that way? Magic? Science? Fucking magnets? They got chopped up. Come on, get with the times. You should know exactly what's going on, and you should actually believe what he's saying. So Eddie is forced to arrest Cindy and Paul after Cecil manages to take some shears and cut up a bunch of the munchies that were throwing golf balls at them. Oh no, golf balls. They slightly sting, and they're barely being thrown at a very low velocity towards you guys. <sighs> yeah, so what, what Cecil needs to do is fuck their shit up, slice and dice those little bastards. And so now he's created more of these munchies, and Cecil, Big Ed, Melvis, they all run to Cecil's factory while Eddie takes Cindy and Paul to jail uh, after the munchies, of course, escape. There's a shortcut to some munchies in a video store looking for porn. Oh, PG movie, folks. Come on. How did this not get PG-13? I will never know. And then they, it goes back into the cop car where Cindy is trying to seduce Eddie into letting them go. Eddie ends up pulling up to the video store and letting the two of them help him out and agrees that yes they can be let go but they have to help him he can deputize anybody that he wants they attack the munchies in the store and find out what will stop them electricity and how do you ask by throwing one of the munchies into a tv finally some violence i can stand by i mean there's no gremlin in a microwave but it'll do wait it just turns him into a statue that paul smashes up kind of bullshit is this at least blow up the little guy so electricity was the fire of the gods oh okay cindy paul and now eddie find themselves away into the underground caves that cecil was talking about earlier in the film there are a ton of these barrels everywhere but none of the three seem to even notice them at all somehow these caves kind of remind me of the shitty ones from peru at the start of the movie probably just got repurposed Eddie also has a spider fall on top of him, and he faints from the spider. Man, I swear that he's completely useless. They help him out, of course, and then they come to a spot where they need to split up. Instead of letting Eddie go off on by himself during to one direction, Paul takes one tunnel, while Cindy and Eddie go down the opposite tunnel. They also synchronize their watches, though I'm not sure why Eddie has to since he's with Cindy, and agree to meet back up at this spot in the next five minutes. We then cut to Big Ed, Cecil, and Melvis, who, after arguing about getting something to eat, stop at a burger place to get something before going to the factory. We're introduced to the dick of all dick managers who seems to employ only midgets. Cecil and crew show up and try to order food, but they get no response at all from the people inside. They decide to pull up to the front while the midgets run out of the restaurant from the back. And they miss this fact, so when they go inside... They find out that the manager has actually been killed by the munchies and they managed to run to the bottom or they managed to ruin the bottom of Cecil's pants, I should say. It cuts back to Eddie and Cindy walking down the tunnel while Eddie begins to creep on her. He believes that he's the better person for her since he was the top of his class in his deputy school. He suddenly gets knocked out by one of the munchies and Cindy then ditches his ass, leaving him lying there on the floor. She tries to run back to the start only to be forced back down the hallway she just came from. Meanwhile, Cecil and crew arrive with Melvis, seeming to talk about how different foods affect her. She keeps talking about, you know, burgers give her gas, and sushi this, and blah blah blah. And I guess it's supposed to be, again, some sort of joke, and everything just gives her some type of issue with her body. Again, it's one of those weirdly placed things that doesn't really make any sense and it's not really funny. So they get in the elevator and they start heading down towards the tunnels. 
they reach the bottom and then the doors open up. They see the munchies and they actually cut the power when Cecil and crew try to go back up the, the elevator. So now they're stuck in the elevator with no power and no lights. Hopefully it'll fall or something, giving them their comeuppings that they so rightfully deserve. Cindy, meanwhile, manages to climb the ladder, and we learn that the munchies can climb faster than they can run, apparently. She barely escapes them, but she manages to run away and get into a room which locks itself after she closes the door. The munchies can't get in, but one of them starts to eat at the door. Paul, he goes back to the start and runs down the hallway that Eddie and Cindy went down to see if he can catch up with them. Paul finds Eddie, and we are treated to some of the best comedy in this movie. You okay, Eddie? Put me in the game, coach. Next play, Eddie. Next play. <laughs> oh my god, how do they write this stuff? I bet it's on a pile full of money. Well, Paul makes it upstairs via the ladder that Cindy used, uh, used before, and finds out that the munchies are going to use the factory line to chop themselves up and make even more of them. He hatches a plan to shock them with a chopped up cable that's been plugged into the wall. And he also manages to turn off the power to the assembly line so that they can't go through with their evil plan. We then go back to Cindy and she's in her room and the munchie now has chewed through the door and he begins to creep on Cindy. Bonjour, Cindy. Come to me, my little peach blossom, my sweet little meringue puff, my little souffle chocolat. <laughs> wow, she actually bashed him in the face with a shovel there and managed to get away. She uh, unlocks the thing from the top, the little window that's on the top of the thing, and manages to run towards where Paul is. Meanwhile, Paul's plan actually works and is able to shock a lot of the munchies with his electricity cable and turns them into stone and smashes them. He tries to get at Arnold, but as he's about to get him, he ends up getting into a scuffle with him. This starts a fight with the fakest of fakest puppets. Not sure if it's worse than ghoulies or blood dolls, but they're pretty bad. Cindy, of course, comes in to save the day, knocks away Arnold, and Paul's able to shock him, turning him into stone. But instead of smashing Arnold, he keeps him to bring him back to his dad. Eddie, who's finally awake, has done absolutely nothing in this film, finds Cecil's group at the elevator. Who's there? Dad. Dad who? Daddy? Uh, Cecil tells him that he needs to go ahead and turn on the switch, which is on his right, but no, the other right, and further right, <laughs> the writing in this film, folks, um, and lets them get out or get some power to the elevator. When the lights go on, Melvis and Big Ed are making out in the back, those whores, and then they all exit the elevator. Paul runs in with Cindy, of course, after everything's been done, and begins to unveil Cecil's big scheme. What happened to them monsters? Smashed to smithereens, no thanks to you. Here, look at this. Asbestos for tater tot mix? Agent Orange for Mandarin Orange Wine Cooler? Well, uh, I guess it's been a long night for all of us. You probably want to get back you scum! Cow snacks are made with toxic waste. But it's harmless, Paul. Can't hurt anybody. I've treated it all with my secret neutralizing mix. Of course, I wouldn't want it to get around, you know, trade secrets and everything. You know, Paul, I've been thinking, you know, I could use a smart fella like you around the factory. Put you in charge of the uh, Endangered Species Sponge Cake Division. What's your answer, nephew? Just this. Oh, come on. That's hardly satisfying at all. I know he deserved that punch to the face, but he should have got what was coming to him. Like, Cecil could have been killed on the cutting line or dropped into a tub of his toxic waste, or even, you know, killed by a munchie. It's not really worth the time, being as evil as supposedly he was, to put these toxic chemicals into the food that he's been selling to the people of the town. Well, Big Ed ends up turning on Cecil and Melvis, even after she made out with him, and arrests them both for the bad work that they've been doing. What a load of bullshit. So now that it's all been wrapped up in a nice little bowl, Cindy and Paul head back home to meet with Simon. Simon's now back with the archaeologist who was willing to now pay 25000 for the statue that Arnold turned into. Of course, Paul comes out and says that he's lost the bet, 
and uh, ultimately Simon then turns around and reverses his decision. Well, I, I guess I lost a bet. I'll go tomorrow and enroll in community college, and that... Oh, son, I forgot to tell you. Do you remember that sample that I took at the at the temple? Yeah. Well, I had it analyzed, and it's some sort of toxic waste, but there are no elements in it that are known on Earth. So you mean Machu Picchu is really an alien toxic waste dump? I've got my new bestseller, Machu Picchu Toxic Waste Dump. Oh, come on. It's just an alien dumping ground. That's really what Machu Picchu is. And that's what the tombs were supposed to be in the beginning of the rim, the movie. Machu Picchu. Are you... Oh, my God. Seriously. That's where you're going? And you're going to let your dumbass son become a comedian after all? He lost the bet. There's no way he should be allowed to do what he wants. Now he's going to L.A. And you know what Cindy thinks about that. So, mm. how do you feel about L.A.? Mm, it's like New Jersey. <laughs> oh fuck you too cindy that joke here it comes back once again so our last scene is the archaeologist driving away with arnold the statue now in the back of his truck a bolt of lightning hits the car it brings arnold to life and we get the ending theme And that, my friends, was Munchies. What can I say about it? It spends more time starting out as a lower-budget, much, much lower-budget version of Gremlins. It also has the dual role of Harvey Corman when it's not really... I mean, it is a dual role if you think about it just in the sense that he plays two characters, but he doesn't really play two characters at the same time. He plays one brother at the beginning of the movie, plays the evil brother during the middle of the movie, and then plays the good brother again at the end of the movie. Yeah, It's not really that. And then... To top it off, there's only really two deaths in the entire movie. Uh, Dude, who actually kind of is a character that's associated with people in the plot, and then this manager at the burger place. That's it. No other characters die. Nothing else really happens to anybody. There's a couple of attacks, but it's all in the same dude for jokes. It tries to be a comedy, but man, it's not really funny. Don't get me wrong. There were a couple of funny parts to it, but not everything works or really holds up in this day and age. The racing section in the middle of the film just seemed way out of place and was pretty odd. But I have to admit, that was probably one of the more entertaining parts of the movie. I give the crap factor of this film a 4 out of 5 because it's pretty shitty. The fun factor is a 3 out of 5. It's kind of right down the middle. You're either going to really like it or you're going to really hate it. And of course, the gore, which is non-existent, is a 1 out of 5. It's really tame, but it's probably a bit too over-sexualized. The munchies themselves are just horn dogs throughout the whole entire movie, from when you basically get to Paul and Simon's house, to the lake, to the video store, everything. They're just freaking horny all the goddamn time, you know. Uh, and the scene between Cindy and Paul really went a little too long in the beginning of the movie, too. I don't know why we needed to cut back to it so many times since it was kind of just, I understand, silly, playful, but it wasn't really worth that much. I mean, there's no nudity, but there's a lot of panty shots and ass shots of the women in this film. Overall, I gave this film three horny Peruvian aliens out of five. Do I recommend the movie? Actually, yes. It's worth a quick watch if you need to see something silly. And especially if you've never seen it before, I would definitely give it a chance. Um, and hopefully that you did see it before you heard this review. It's a nice change from the last two movies that I went through where they were very kind of serious style movies that ended up being kind of funny, uh, whereas this kind of just has to be a horror comedy right out of the way. Um, Well, for my next episode, I am taking a little bit of liberty to the word horror as this movie is a horror movie to me. It was requested that I do this film, and since they classify it as a thriller, 
I'll accept that into my movie criteria. Um, it is sci-fi, and it is a monster movie. So, uh, you know, I'd also like to break uh, my mold every once in a while. And can you guess what that movie is? That's right. If you haven't guessed it already, it's the 1998 version of Godzilla, who's also known as Zilla in Japan. It's one of my least favorite films, but I'm doing this one as a favor to my co-host of the It Be Like That podcast. I'd also like to thank Scott Crawford for suggesting Munchies to me. I did have a good time watching this film, though it was a little too campy for my tastes. If you would like to make a suggestion, you can always contact me on Twitter at T underscore T underscore podcast. You can check out and like the Facebook page, facebook.com slash terribleterrorpodcast, where you can find the video of the chase scene in this movie, as well as some other clips and other little things that I put up there. Uh, you can always email movie ideas directly to me at terribleterrorpodcast at gmail.com, or if you want to contact me on my personal Twitter at any time, you can send a message to at T00LBERT. Of course, as always, listen to It Be Like That with my co-host Patrick. Uh, and that's available on Spreaker, Stitcher, Blueberry, or iTunes every other week that this podcast is actually off. Uh, so Godzilla, it is available on Amazon Instant, and I'm sure it's on TVs. It always seems to be on whenever I turn it on. And after we do Godzilla, we're going to go right back to traditional horror. And I'm trying to find something that maybe is foreign. So if you do have any suggestions for a foreign horror movie uh that i may have not seen before please send me uh either a link to a trailer or um send me a movie suggestion uh, directly on there so thank you all for listening and we will see you next time with godzilla bye with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.